Hello. Welcome to Science Factual. Prepare yourself for factual download. Sequence commencing. Gotta love that opening scene with its unmistakable early 2000s cinema vibe that we all know and love. Especially with the Israel Keys boner-inducing new metal backing track produced at Marilyn Manson at the top. That's right, fellow citizens of Raccoon City, we're outrunning a horde of facts about the Resident Evil franchise. Hi there, I'm your host, Reese Hendrick, and welcome to this extra spooky episode of Science Factual, the show that dives into the facts behind your favorite science fiction. For this second installment of five throughout the month of October, I'll be taking the nostalgia train back to when I genuinely got scared by video games and movies. You know, before all the desensitization. For this episode, I got to sit down with the very awesome host of Telltale PDX, Jasmine Nothing, in North Portland to chat about zombies and other scary stuff. Make sure to stick around for the end of the episode, as we'll be wrapping things up with a story from Jasmine that was featured in Telltale, I Won't Wait, at the Chapel Theater in Milwaukee. But before we depart on the Alexi 5000 for the Hive, I think it's a good time to issue out a lockdown level SPOILER ALERT! SPOILER ALERT! for anyone who's unlucky enough to still be within Raccoon City limits. I'm going to be getting into the origins of the video game series, movies, and everything else Resident Evil. To kick things off, let's take a chunk out of Resident Evil, which is a 2002 action horror film written and directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. The film stars Mila Jovovich, Michelle Rodriguez, Eric Mabius, James Purefoy, Martin Cruz, and Colin Salmon. It is the first installment in the Resident Evil film series, which is loosely based on the video game series of the same name. Borrowing some elements from the video games Resident Evil and Resident Evil 2, the film follows new protagonists and amnesiac heroine Alice and a band of Umbrella Corporation commandos as they attempt to contain the outbreak of the T-Virus at a secret underground facility. At the beginning of the 21st century, the Umbrella Corporation had become the largest commercial entity in the United States. Nine out of every ten homes contain its products. Its political and financial influence is felt everywhere. In public, it is the world's leading supplier of computer technology, medical products, and health care. Unknown even to its own employees, its massive profits are generated by military technology, genetic experimentation, and viral weaponry. Underneath Raccoon City exists a genetic research facility called The Hive, owned by the Umbrella Corporation. A thief steals the genetically engineered T-Virus and contaminates the Hive with it. In response, the facility's artificial intelligence, the Red Queen, steals the Hive and kills everyone inside. Alice awakens in the bathroom of a deserted mansion with amnesia. 
She dresses, checks the mansion, and is tackled by an unknown person as a group of commandos led by James Shade breaks into the mansion. Alice's attacker is cuffed when he claims to be Matt Addison, who just transferred in as a new cop to Raccoon PD. Alice and Matt are ordered to go down to the hive with the group where they find another amnesiac, Spence, hidden in a train car. The commandos explain that everyone in the group except for Matt is an employee of the Umbrella Corporation, and Alice and her partner Spence were assigned to guard the hive's secret entrance underneath the mansion under the pretense of being a married couple. At the Red Queen's chamber, a laser defense system kills Shade and three of the commandos. Despite the Red Queen's urgent pleas for the group to leave, Kaplan disables it, causing the power to fail and all of the doors in the hive to open. This releases the zombified staff and containment units, which were holding the Lickers, uh, creatures created through experimentation with the T-Virus. The humans are attacked by the Horde, and JD, one of the commandos, dies. Rain, another commando, retreats with Kaplan and Spence, and Matt becomes separated from Alice, who starts regaining her memories. In the meantime, Matt looks for information about his sister, Lisa, who worked for Umbrella, and finds her, unfortunately, zombified. Alice saves him, and Matt explains that he and Lisa were environmental activists, and that Lisa had infiltrated Umbrella to smuggle out the evidence of illegal experimentation. Alice remembers that she was in fact Lisa's contact in the Hive, but doesn't tell that to Matt quite yet. The survivors reunite at the Red Queen's chamber, where the commandos explain that they have one hour before the Hive traps them inside automatically. Alice and Kaplan activate the Red Queen to find an exit, and force her to cooperate by rigging a remote shutdown device. As they escape through maintenance tunnels, zombies ambush them and a reanimated JD bites Rain before she can shoot him dead. They reach safety, except for Kaplan, who is bitten and separated from the group. Alice remembers that an antivirus is in the lab, but when they go to find it, it is mysteriously missing. Spence and Alice remember that Spence was the thief who stole and purposely released the T-Virus and then hid it along with the antivirus on the train. Spence turns against the others, but is bitten by a zombie, which he kills before trapping the survivors in the lab. Spence retrieves the antivirus, but is killed by a liquor set upon him by the Red Queen. The Red Queen offers to spare Alice and Matt if they kill Rain, who has been infected for far too long for the antivirus to work reliably. As the liquor attempts to reach them, a power outage occurs. The lab door opens to reveal that Kaplan shut down the Red Queen in order to open the door. The group heads toward the train where Alice retrieves the antivirus and kills a reanimated Spence before escaping with the others. On the train, they inject Rain and Kaplan with the antivirus. The liquor, having hidden on the train, attacks them, clawing Matt and killing Kaplan. Alice subdues the liquor before Matt is attacked by a zombified Rain, the antivirus having failed to cure her. He shoots Rain dead, and her head hits a button, opening the bay doors of the train, dropping the liquor onto the track, killing it in a most spectacular fashion. At the mansion, Matt's wound begins to mutate. Before Alice can give him the antivirus, the mansion doors burst open and a group of Umbrella scientists seizes them. They subdue Alice and take Matt away, revealing that he is to be put into something called the Nemesis Program, and that the Hive is to be reopened for an investigation into the incident. Later, Alice awakens at the Raccoon City Hospital, strapped to an examination table, and escapes outside to find Raccoon City deserted and in ruins. She retrieves a shotgun from an abandoned police car and continues through the streets. Clickety-clack. Now, I know, it's kind of hard to do the action, justice, and synopsis form, so please do yourself a favor and revisit the series for that reason alone. Mila Jovovich is a super badass, not to mention other amazing action actors peppered in throughout the six movies. But I do single her out as the one main constant throughout the series, despite there being other big names attached to multiple movies. 
Speaking of which, here are the other five movies from the series. For the sake of brevity, I'll just be listing them instead of getting into a synopsis of each film. Up first we have the initial sequel, Resident Evil Apocalypse, in 2004, that was followed by Extinction in 2007, Afterlife, that came out in 2010, Retribution in 2012, and the final chapter in 2016, which saw Alice riding off into the sunset on a motorcycle. Now, I'm not going to get into the Netflix series, because that was released just this year, and it actually has nothing to do with the plot arc of the movies. So instead, let's boot into video game mode with a look into what started it all, and what's coming up next in the Resident Evil universe. Resident Evil, known in Japan as Biohazard, is a horror game series and media franchise created by Capcom. It consists of survival horror, third-person shooter, and first-person shooter games, with players typically surviving in environments filled with zombies and other creatures. The franchise has been expanded into a live-action film series, which we just covered, animated films, television series, comic books, novels, audio dramas, and other media and merchandise. Resident Evil is the highest-grossing horror franchise. The first Resident Evil was created by Shinji Mikami and Tokoro Fujiwara and released for the PlayStation in 1996. It is credited for defining the survival horror genre and returning zombies to popular culture. With Resident Evil 4 in 2005, the franchise shifted to more dynamic shooting action. It influenced the evolution of the survival horror and third-person genres, popularizing the -the over-the-shoulder third-person view. Resident Evil 7 Biohazard from 2017 moved the series to a first-person perspective. Capcom has also released four Resident Evil remakes, uh, the Resident Evil 2002, Resident Evil 2 in 2019, Resident Evil 3 in 2020, and the upcoming Resident Evil 4 scheduled for 2023. Resident Evil is Capcom's best-selling franchise with 127 million copies sold worldwide as of June 2022 and is the best-selling horror game series hands down. The development of the first Resident Evil, released as Biohazard in Japan, began in 1993 when Capcom's Tokuro Fujiwara told Shinji Mikami and other co-workers to create a game using elements from Fujiwara's 1989 game Sweet Home. When in late 1994, marketing executives were setting up to release Biohazard in the United States, it was pointed out that securing the rights to the name Biohazard would be very difficult as a DOS game had been registered under that name, as well as a New York hardcore band called Biohazard. They got good stuff. A contest was held among company personnel to choose a name. Uh, This competition turned up Resident Evil, the name under which it was released in the West. Resident Evil made its debut on the PlayStation in 1996 and was later ported to the Sega Saturn. The first entry in the series was the first to be dubbed a survival horror game, a term coined for the new genre it initiated, and its critical and commercial success led to the production of two sequels, Resident Evil 2 in 1998 and Resident Evil 3 Nemesis in 1999, both for the PlayStation. A part of Resident Evil 2 was also released for the Nintendo 64. In addition, parts of all three were released for Windows. The fourth game in the series, Resident Evil Code Veronica, was developed for the Dreamcast and released in 2000, followed by ports of Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. Resident Evil Code Veronica was later re-released for Dreamcast in Japan in an updated form as Code Veronica Complete, which included slight changes, many of which revolved around story cutscenes. This updated version was later ported to the PlayStation 2 and GameCube under the title Code Veronica X. I happen to have that version for GameCube, and it is fantastic. Or at least it was back in the day. 
The next three games in the series, a remake of the original Resident Evil and the prequel Resident Evil Zero, both re-released in 2002, as well as Resident Evil 4 in 2005, were all released initially as GameCube exclusives. Resident Evil 4 was later released for Windows, PlayStation 2, and the Wii console. A new generation of remakes of older entries began in 2019 with a remake of Resident Evil 2 being released for the PlayStation 4, Windows, and Xbox One. You keeping up with all these remakes? There's a fuck ton of them. Following in the success of the Resident Evil 2 remake, Capcom revealed a remake of Resident Evil 3 Nemesis in December 2019 known as Resident Evil 3. It was released in April 2020 alongside Resident Evil Resistance, a team-based online multiplayer game. In June 2022, a remake of Resident Evil 4 was announced and will release on PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, Xbox Series X and S, and PC on March 24th, 2023. You know, I'm thinking about busting my Dreamcast out for a little Veronica X time. Just something about a badass broad calling the undead. Mm-mm-mm. But before I go digging through boxes that haven't seen the light of day for more years than I care to count, here's some reanimated facts about the movies and games alike. Before Resident Evil was conjured up, there was Sweet Home, a Capcom RPG from 1989 based on a Japanese horror film that follows a film crew making their way through a haunted mansion. Resident Evil was originally intended to be a remake of this game, but plans changed as development went on. That said, many similar elements ended up in the finished product, including the mansion setting, emphasis on puzzles and survival, and multiple endings. Creator of the game series Capcom is an abbreviation for Capsule Computer. This was a phrase symbolic of an internal company objective to create a new gaming experience that would exceed that of rival personal computers which had also been increasing in popularity during the same period. Capcom is known for not just the Resident Evil games, but also older classic franchises like Mega Man and Street Fighter. Newer examples include Devil May Cry and Marvel vs. Capcom in both cabinet and console platforms. And yet it is the Resident Evil franchise that has turned out to be the most profitable series for the Japanese venture. Overall, the entire franchise's sales stand at roughly 120 to 127 million copies sold worldwide. According to Statista's 2021 survey, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard has been the biggest moneymaker with 10.2 million copies sold, followed by Resident Evil 2 at 8.9 million and Resident Evil 5 at 8 million. Speaking of Capcom, the presidents of both Capcom Japan and Capcom American appear in the first film as zombies trapped in the hive. Classic horror films influenced the creepy atmosphere and story of the games, with the eerily quiet mansion in Resident Evil being influenced by Stephen King's similarly haunted setting from The Shining, the Overlook Hotel. Another hat tip to the horror classic can be found in Resident Evil 2 with the word Red Rum scrawled on one of the walls. Zombie films were an important driving force, as well as the films of George Romero and Italian undead flicks like Zombie, inspiring the creators of the game to create their own terrifying zombie story. The creators of the series had low expectations at the time of its release. Producer Tokuro Fujiwara estimated it to only sell about 200,000 copies. The makers of the game were uncertain how a horror game could find success, but as time went on and word spread of this new kind of genre, Capcom ended up selling several million copies, making it one of the most successful games on the PlayStation console. The original Resident Evil was going to be ported to the Game Boy. In fact, the handheld version was 90% complete before Capcom scrapped it, stating that they were not confident that the product would have made both consumers and Capcom happy. After an enthusiast managed to get a hold of the unfinished game, it was released as a ROM online. Thanks, fellow nerd, for spreading the love. 
Now, Resident Evil 2 could have ended up as a very different game. A whole different version was made and nearly released, but the people at Capcom were dissatisfied with the game and started over, keeping key plot elements like the zombie outbreak concept and rookie cop character Leon S. Kennedy. So what was different? Instead of Claire Redfield, Resident Evil 1.5, as the prototype game is now known, had a playable female character called Elza Walker, a motorbike racing college student. Enemies from the scrapped game included zombie gorillas, man spiders, and a bizarre boss monster with the face of Albert Wesker on its tail. Like many other video game series, Resident Evil is no stranger to media tie-ins. While the animated and live-action movies are quite popular, the games have also spawned a whole range of comic books and novels. When it comes to the Resident Evil comics, the first comic was published by Marvel as a prequel to the original game and released as a promotional material for the PlayStation version. Since then, publication houses like Image and Wildstorm have added to the game's mythos, along with manhua adaptions in Hong Kong by multiple publishers. The first five games, as well as three of Paul W.S. Anderson's Resident Evil movies, have also been adapted as official novelizations. The godfather of zombie horror, George A. Romero, had close ties with Capcom and Resident Evil after he was chosen to direct an ad campaign for Biohazard 2 in Japan. When Capcom decided to turn their critically acclaimed games into a film, they hired Romero as director and screenplay writer. But Romero's script, which was based on the story of the original Resident Evil and included characters like Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine, was disliked by the producers at Capcom. The legendary director was promptly fired, and Mortal Kombat director Paul W.S. Anderson took his place with a screenplay that was further removed from the storyline of the games. However, the first film does contain a subtle reference to the video games. When the group returns to the laser hallway, the victims' bodies have disappeared. This also happens in the video game, as corpses will vanish as soon as a player leaves and re-enters the area. The character of Alice was created just for the films. She never makes any appearance in any of the games. We also never hear her name spoken in the first film, and it's only mentioned in the credits. This was intentional, as Anderson wanted the character to be a blank slate. As he said, quote, while you're watching as an audience member, you're watching a character being constructed in front of your eyes. Originally, the first film was titled Resident Evil Ground Zero, but this was changed to just Resident Evil for some weird reason after September 11, 2001. Gwyneth Paltrow was originally slated to play Alice. When that didn't work out, Mila Jovovich landed the role and ended up meeting her future husband, none other than the director, Paul W.S. Anderson. I guess Gwyneth was too busy trying to come up with new and refreshing candle scents, but didn't quite have the angle that she's got going on now. It turns out that many people in the cast had never even played the Resident Evil games prior to signing on for the films. The main reason Jovovich agreed to the role was because her brother Marco was a huge fan of the games. However, Michelle Rodriguez, who plays Rain, loved the game so much that she told her agent to let her know if anyone ever wrote a script for a film version. When writer and director Paul W.S. Anderson's screenplay was snatched up, Rodriguez jumped right in. In Apocalypse, the suit for Nemesis weighed a whopping 60 pounds. Because of how heavy it was, stuntman Matthew G. Taylor could only wear it for 15 minutes at a time or so before overheating. The makeup department and crew had a hard time dealing with the dogs, who kept licking the zombie makeup, blood, and meat off of themselves. Yummy. All the minor cuts and bruises on Mila Jovovich's character are real. No makeup was even applied, and she also did all of her own stunts, except for the pipe jump in the sewer scene. She used a stunt double in that because her agent thought she would get strangled by the hanging wires. Not totally unreasonable, I guess, but fine enough for a stunt person. Paul W.S. Anderson wanted to change the usual disclaimer at the end of the film to read that it didn't contain any resemblance to persons living or undead, but he wasn't allowed to for fear of legal action. 
God, Hollywood's just no fun when they haven't had their daily dose of adrenochrome. I'm sure you're wondering just why the multinational corporation that has its hands in just about everything is called Umbrella Corp. But in case that's not on the nose enough for you, the term Umbrella Corporation in business terms refers to a business entity that has subsidiaries peppered throughout various industries, just like the evil multinational from the game, films, and in real life. Up next, we have an interview with Jasmine Nothing, host of Telltale PDX, one of my favorite showcases in town. Check out the schedule at telltalepdx.com, where people go to get vulnerable and take no shit. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful day today. Mm-hmm. For traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, too many. There's too many people. Do not move here. Do not move to Portland if you're <laughs> listening to this and you're not already here. Don't come here. I mean, with the with the topic of zombies in general, my one of the thoughts that I was having was like that. Fast forward into the end part of like the nicer zombie movies, sure, where it's um, just isolated and all the other people are gone, and you're just like gardening nicely away from everybody else. <laughs> that sounds and, fantastic. I mean, and I kind of always had that vibe, but also feel like especially like working direct service, like through COVID and everything, I was just tremendously over people. Yeah. And while I don't necessarily actually want them all to be murdered by zombies, there are days where I would really like to just be, you know, curating some really nice tomatoes somewhere and not talking to anyone ever again. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, the last place you want to be during a zombie apocalypse outbreak is in traffic. So, the, I mean... The Every zombie movie starts, starts with, like, scenes of, like, abandoned cars. That's what I'm saying. Have you seen Portland during a snowstorm? Uh, yes, actually. I remember the snowpocalypse of 2016. Uh-huh, yep. And that that was not like... Not good. Yeah, that was not good. People had to come back and get their cars days later. I saw, yeah, I, I saw some that were overturned, mm-hmm. like, just from hitting the hitting the curb wrong, because you couldn't see it, you know? Yeah, I mean, one day we'll get better at snow, since climate is going to kill all of us if That's the zombies so true. don't. But That's so true. In the meantime... In the meantime, well, the voice that you hear other than my own folks, this is Jasmine Nothing. Hi. Thanks for sitting on this stoop with me off of Alberta Street. We're we're enjoying a beautiful evening. Yeah, we found a spot. We may yeah. or may not get interrupted. We'll see how it goes. It's all good vibes on Alberta. Mm-hmm. I, one of my my first like real apartment that we lived in for a lot of, several years was on Alberta and 18th. Nice. And so yeah. this is kind of like our old neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. That's but that's like right in the heart of the arts district. Yeah. It is now. I mean, it yeah. wasn't very artsy when we were living there. That was. Uh, <laughs> Probably 15 years ago. Okay, sure. So definitely yeah. a different vibe yeah. at that point. Yeah. Um, definitely artsier now. A lot, yes. a lot has changed. Portland's changed a lot. Though. It sure has. For better or for worse, uh, we don't have the infrastructure to handle traffic. I don't think that we have the infrastructure to handle a zombie outbreak, which is what we are here to talk about. Uh, that's Resident Evil, uh, which I'm, I I love the franchise. I grew up with it. Uh, we're going to get into some questions here. But before we do that, what's your Instagram? My personal Instagram is Poetica Jasmine, P-O-E-T-I-C-A-J-A-S-M-I-N-E, uh, and that has been like my, that, that was like my AOL username when I was like 15. It's just been like the thing that I've used for so long that I can't get rid of it anymore. I wouldn't want to get rid of it. It's, I think it's a great handle. And then you have uh, Telltale? Yeah, and then the show that I do every month is Telltale PDX, T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-P-D-X. And we're going to learn more about that in a minute, but what I want to know first is, what was your initial exposure to science fiction? I was trying to think of, like, a clever answer, Mm -hmm. or maybe something that hadn't been brought up before, because I feel like if you were to just, like, ask in general, I'd I'd be like, I don't really know if I love sci-fi, 
I feel like sci-fi probably actually includes a lot more than people automatically think of. Um, and so I was scrolling back in my brain, and I decided probably Mac and Me. Okay. Which is, I looked it up earlier, it came out in 1988. Okay. I'm an 84 baby, so I feel like I probably saw it like pretty young. It is arguably very bad, and it is based off of E.T., and I don't really understand how you like base a movie off of kind of another kind of sci-fi movie... Um, that came out yeah, not that sci-fi. far off of that year. I mean, like, right, I don't yeah. know when E.T. came out, off of my head, but probably not that close. I feel like having crows in the background of this <laughs> is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's very, very North Portland. Yeah. So Mac and Me is the story of, like, a, an alien that comes down and with its family and gets separated from its family and makes friends with this little boy in a wheelchair. And there are some really harrowing scenes of like that wheelchair child, like flying down a hill and falling out of the chair. And like, it's, it's not good. It is. Uh, I, I need a, to watch this movie. I've not, mm-hmm. I've not seen Mac. I rewatched May. it. You know, how you go back and you rewatch things and you're like, I know it's not good, but like, I still care about it because of like nostalgia or whatever. Oh, totally. It's yeah. That's, that's not good. For you. Yeah. No, oh. it's not. It did not. <laughs> it, it did hold not up. hold up. Yeah. I did not like it anymore. <laughs> and arguably, the aliens are very weird. They are very uncomfortable looking and and wiggly, and the the coloring is very strange. And I think that might have been my actual first introduction. Other than uh, then, I was thinking like, wait, does it have to be a movie? Uh, yep. And so then I was thinking like Ray Bradbury short stories for actually uh, yeah. probably now you're talking my language for some of my like yeah. younger the illustrated man uh, and yeah, yeah the, the Martian Chronicles and all like and... the dandelion wine stuff even that yeah. I have like a really like battered paperback version of dandelion wine that's just nice. like falling apart up top dude I'm, Bradbury's my dude yeah dude yeah so Very I think cool. that was probably like kind of up there in, in early stuff totally Mac and Me has a seven percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes <laughs> that's that that makes me want to watch it more actually seven there are very few that have that distinction of like you know the sub 10 percent range but the ones that are there rough yeah okay well it actually moves it up my list significantly you know winter's coming and like what do you what do you do what do you do once it starts raining all the time you might as well do nothing and just sit on your couch and watch movies that don't matter that's so true i spend most of my time doing that anyway so why not yeah (laughs) why not add it to the the list? list yes so what about resident evil I am a sucker for zombie movies. I cool. feel like zombie movies are perfect because they can be terrible mm-hmm. and still be good. Because mm. you're kind of going into them with just like this idea of what a zombie movie is. And I feel like the bar is like so low. So I will be pleased by any of them. But I also think that probably not Resident Evil is like probably pretty early in my like zombie watching history. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, same here. Definitely era. saw it at the Lloyd Center movie theater. One of my favorite uh, movie theaters. When it came out and like which 2002 I think it was yeah uh, and yeah because I worked at the mall at the time oh okay and so we were we just saw anything that came out then and it was really fun and yeah uh, I th- also think between Michelle and Mila those were probably very early on in my like career of being like oh girls right are also hot yes and I like them yes and I didn't know that really strongly yet and so I feel like that was formative your eyes are very captivating. I know this is an audio-only podcast, but... Yeah, take that, podcast listeners. Yeah. You don't get to see them. No, I'm also wearing these neon green glasses, <laughs> which I think really do pop just a bit and are, and frame them well. Those peepers do be popping. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I bought these glasses a long really time ago, green. and then I took them out of the package, and mm. I put them on, and I was like, oh my god, that's very weird. I only wear black glasses, and I put them away, and then I waited like six months, and... 
the other glasses were so scratched up I couldn't see out of them anymore. So I was like, oh, God, well, I have these. I might as well. And I put them on, and I was like, oh, maybe this is okay. And then I got, like, 4,000 compliments on them. Yeah. And now I bought three more pairs. Yeah, totally. So do you have, like, neon orange? Ugh, and... No, they only have neon green and uh, yellow. Okay. Hey. But I have bought several of them. Yeah. I do the same thing. If I find a shirt that I like, I'll, yeah, I get, like, three or three of them. Buying the thing you like is hard. If you find yeah. the thing, just yeah. stock up. Yes. Also, these are from Zenny. They're cheap as hell. Nice. Yeah, there you go. This, this is actually why we're here, is to talk about deals. Deal, deals on there, bulk This purchases. is not a commercial, but <laughs> yes, maybe it could be. It Convince could be. Zenny to promote this podcast. I will contact them, them immediately up. after this. Mm-hmm. Yes. I spent a lot of money there. So have, have you played the video games, though? For no. Resident Evil? Okay. Never. Okay. That's because Just I only movies. play video games, like, nothing since, like, Super Mario and Tetris. Okay. Or Mix Pac-Man. That's all classics, all great games. Those are all the things I understand. Anything, maybe like Donkey Kong is about the newest thing that I've managed. Anything past that, I get a little bit overwhelmed. Okay, yeah. I really want to because I love scary shit and Mm -hmm. I would like to watch that kind of thing more often. And like participating in it in like a game sounds so cool and I don't know what I'm doing. So I have not. Well, there's there's newer stuff like Last of Us, there's Left 4 Dead, there's Dead Space, there's Space Zombies, which is one of my favorites. There's Resident Evil, there's House of the Dead. I mean, like, I implore you to consider yeah, The thing playing. is, I should, because yeah. I would love them. I know that about myself, and I would have so much fun at Check it. Check out some gameplay, like, because that, that, that always entices me. I'm like, because the commercials are fine, right? Yeah. Like, they, they're always better graphics quality, and they're produced, like, you know, to be a specific way, but... Hi, are we on your stoop? No, you're not on uh, my stoop. I was just looking for a pizza that oh. may have been on this stoop instead of my stoop. I've uh, seen no pizzas. Yes. So sorry. Quick, hide the oh, hide the pizza. Oh. <laughs> Success. Beautiful. Sorry, I had trouble parking. Sweet bad brain shirt, dude. Thank you, my friend. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's rad. Yeah, sure do. Me too. Okay. Earlier, I was saying that I didn't know anything about video games to my partner, and they were like, "Say that on the thing. Maybe they'll give you a bunch of like recommendations." And that's exactly how it yeah. works. Perfect. <laughs> that is how it usually works with nerds. Mm-hmm. You're like, you know, oh, you don't know about this thing. My here's, God. here's a bunch of unsolicited information. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Let me dump all this on you real quick. I'll listen later. <laughs> take notes. I'll send. I'll send you a list. Perfect. Yeah, it does also take the investment of like having the consoles mm-hmm. because like I had the good thing about growing up in the early '90s and having friends who had more money than we did. Uh, was that I could try all the new video games and stuff, and, like, my parents wouldn't have to make the financial investment. i just go mm-hmm. over it. And I'm out of their hair, too. It's a twofer. I think they may have done this intentionally, now that I think back on it. Uh, it's a which, win-win. Yep. They actually now live out of the country. so they, I, it kind, They've gotten far away. Yeah, they're just, it kind of tracks. Um, yep. Am I a bad person? All right. No. <laughs> Okay, so you gravitate towards horror films, but predominantly zombie films. Like, do you, do you I like mean, other scary, scary yeah, movies just scary in general? Stuff in general. I mean, yeah. yeah, absolutely. It's October, okay. so yeah. I have. It is spooky. The month. other day, yeah, I stayed I'm up till it. like three a.m. accident, mm-hmm. like on a work night, accidentally just like watching like eight million trailers and making a giant long list of like everything that I wanted to see. Yeah, not enough uh, days in the month. Because no. you can only do like two, maybe three movies a night if if you have the time. Yeah, but like I don't know, man. Like, you get home. Get off work at six. Don't get home till like six thirty, six forty-five, and then you're like make dinner, walk the dog, stuff. and all of a sudden it's like fit one movie in. But the thing is, we did just get hot tub at my house Very and a nice. projector. So now we are watching scary movies in a hot tub projected on the side of my garage, drinking like tequila out of like a little cup that floats around in like a flamingo floaty. 
and it has never made me feel more cool. I'm about to and skip my like showcase the, at yeah, Underbar. You don't need to go to a show. Yeah, what it, yeah. house. It Sorry, is let me, let me message, the best. I'm going to message Dennis here real quick. It is the best. <laughs> um, I feel quite bougie as a person who did not grow up with any money until not that long ago, did not have any money still. Jacuz is a big... That's a that's a adult move right there. Oh, like, yeah. But it is not that much cheaper than my car. And my car was like a new car when I right. bought it. It, it was an investment, <laughs> but I don't know, man. Portland right. is wet and cold. Yeah. And what else? You've you got to do something with your time. You have to. And Is it, is it under a, an awning as not well? Not yet. Okay. But oh. we do have long-term intentions of it nice. coming under an awning. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, my partner said that they would build something eventually. That's, that's, a, that's a, so, a cool maneuver. It's a perfect place to watch scary movies. Watch Mom and Dad the other night. Oh, yeah. Which is mm. uh, unhinged. I mean, yes, Nicolas Cage, is. anything, I, I accept. Yeah. I love Nicolas Cage. A lot of people are, have mixed feelings on him. I think he's fantastic. My feelings are not mixed. My, no, I'm all fir- in. Firmly, 100%, 100% in on Yeah, uh-huh. I agree. 100% I mean, He's in. a ridiculous man. Yes. And I, like, good actor? That's not the word I would use. That's not what I'm here to vote on regarding mm-hmm. Nicolas Cage. Would I like to watch him do basically anything? Yes. Yes. I'd watch him split wood in leather pants and a faux fur cheetah print. Yeah, why would like, you not do that? Yeah, with no shirt on, but just like what's the, the vest. What's the um Wally's something? You watch that one Mm-mm. where he's uh he gets in tr- he there's like it's like a Chuck E. Cheese basically it's like an off-brand Chuck E. Cheese and okay. he like gets stuck in there overnight and if you like stay there overnight you get a bunch of money and then all the things come to life and you just like murder them and stuff as you mm-hmm. would obviously as assume. One would, yeah, but of course, most yeah. importantly, he does not speak entire film. Mm. He just downs like a thousand energy drinks <laughs> uh, and plays pinball aggressively and then murders everything. Fantastic. I cannot believe you haven't seen that one. Wally's? If, if it's, yeah. It, it, Wally's but it's something. something but yeah, it's I'll with, definitely uh, have to check it out. a couple of years. So. I, I will say this one last thing in support of uh, horror video games mm-hmm. is like because I love to like get scared and do things that scare me without any actual actual real world consequences. No real risk. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like no risk involved. It's just like okay, I can have pure fun, and it's you know like sometimes when I do go to some of these haunted houses, it's too much. I'm yeah, a, I'm a delicate flower, Jasmine. I went to a haunted house as a kid, mm-hmm. um, and I hated it. Yeah. And I have not done it again since then. Okay. I just remember there being like an electric chair mm. piece where then like this person like shook, you know, and then like liquid went everywhere Ooh. as they were like shaking with like strobe lights and stuff. Ooh. And I was like, I don't like this. I don't like this. Also, yeah. the death penalty is bad because right. I was, you know, like a self-righteous child. Uh, and I... Well, I, I also have to agree with you, but yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that part didn't change. Yeah. Still self-righteous. Uh, but <laughs> I... I have never been back. And sometimes I think about it. I also recently learned that there's a strip club haunted house. Well, that I would do. And I'm like, okay, well. Yeah, yeah baby steps. You might you might convince me there. Yeah. That's different. I would put that on the docket. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let me ask you this. How do you think you'd fare against actual zombies? I think I would do very, very bad and die immediately because I have a trash spine. My, uh, my spine is very bad and I can't do much of anything. Um, and without taking a, taking a, a little faint-hearted break. But are you good at like organizing and 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 delegating? Uh, yeah. I mean, if I could do it from a place of no risk or running, I would be very good at like event planning. Mm-hmm. The if we if we needed to like plan. A, oh, there's some very cute dogs passing us. Oh, there sure are. Hi, friends. You're so fuzzy. Hi. Hi. Um, I could definitely I could definitely walk themselves. Yeah. I'm sick of it. Oh, I can yeah. see that. Yeah. Aw. 
one's big and fuzzy, one's smaller and fuzzy, and they're fuzzy in different ways. Yeah, it's true. But both equally adorable. Yeah. I love dogs. Shout out Levi, Same. my boy. Well, I'm going to shout out Fig. Yeah, please do. He has giant ears, and he's perfect. Oh. Yeah, if like the event planning part, I could do that. I could organize, okay. I could delegate, I could, but yeah. We were, no, we were there's talking, no running for me. We're talking about different zombie movies. Like, okay, there's Dawn of the Dead, mm-hmm. Night of the Living Dead, mm-hmm. Resident Evil. Those are three different types of interaction of zombies. Like, Night of the Living Dead is your classic, like, lumbering zombie. Stumbling, like you, yeah. yeah. Like, you could speed walk your way out of a situation. Mm-hmm. Dawn of the Dead is, like, they're full-blown running at you, like, unhinged, or at least the, the newer one. Yeah. It, like, it, which is one of my favorites. I love that movie dearly and watch it every year. In fact, I may even watch it tonight when I get mm-hmm. home. Imagine that. Fortuitous. Yes. Uh, but and, and then there's kind of in between Resident Evil because like they, I feel like they use that to their advantage. Like they stretch it out for scenes, you know, like when there's drama going on in a scene, like when they're all when they're coming up. I think it's in the second Resident Evil movie. They're like going up that spiral parking structure mm-hmm. and the helicopters on the top, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. they're like having a, a like kind of a showdown. But the whole time, like they just show like they cut to zombies coming up the spiral staircase cut to the same scene of them coming up the same part of the staircase and it's like how slow or fast are these zombies actually like i mean i guess they'll spring out at, they'll, get, they'll spring out at you but i guess like realistically like some people are fast and some people are slow that's fair so excellent question so like i would say in night of the living dead usain bolt and meatloaf are the same speed because zombies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are, they have a they have a z limit yeah and, sure yeah and, I'm, I'm on board in Dawn of the Dead, I feel like it is a bit more like the skill set that you had as a like individualized, human, yeah. yeah, is a bit more individualized. Uh, Resident Evil, like, like I, I don't know, they, they pop out at you. Like, there's a little bit of that in The Walking Dead too. Like, are they, you know, like because they are threatening. They, it's just they like got scary a good clip. It's unpredictable. Yeah, they, that's true. They got a good clip. I don't know. I like to think I do okay. Yeah. See, it's other people that I'm worried about. I'm not well, necessarily yeah. worried COVID. about the... <laughs> I feel like has made all of us understand that, like... People are the worst. Yes. Yeah. I feel like we already knew it, but it, like, really, really showed us that we were correct. Yeah. I don't know that we will ever come close to developing some sort of... Let's say, like, 23 days and 23 weeks later, that's, like, the rage virus that mm-hmm. then takes over people is ostensibly zombification. Yeah. I don't think that science is even capable of making something like that at this or any near point because we do some pretty neat genetic modification. I'm going to retake that. We do some. We do genetic modification. I'm not going to call it neat. Pretty neat. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Um, yeah, they're going to take that sound clip later and super, use it against yeah, you. Yeah, I. Yeah, please isolate. He likes this. Yeah, they I've were heard. doing some really interesting stuff in the 30s in Germany. Yeah, and, really um, into it. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of this guy, Josef Mengele? Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Getting back to zombies. I mean, I'm going to fill in that hole I just dug <laughs> real quick. Yep. Um, yeah. So at the end of the day, I think that we would probably succumb to a zombie overtaking. You know, like, I don't think... Because there would be an initial flare-up where a fuck ton of people would become zombies. Mm-hmm. Once they rot away... You know, like, the ratio of the amount of zombies versus the amount of people that are getting turned into zombies, like, lessens. And then, you know, like... There's, like, less available people. Right. But also, we require people for the infrastructure of things. Like, there's a thought exercise, like, what if the world shut down all of a sudden? 
like all of the world's electricity grid just shut off. Mm -hmm. Most nuclear reactors would go critical within 72 hours, and we would have hundreds of like critical radioactive areas throughout the planet, and it would become unlivable within a couple of months. Yeah. For any extended period of time, and it would just get exacerbated from there. So yeah, like, even reading about like the nuclear stuff in like Russia and how I forget the town it's in now, but the one that they keep like messing with and it like Chernobyl. falls offline. No, like the one that's like currently. Oh, the, oh, the current. Oh, like in the, the current mega, war. The mega one. Yeah. That keeps like they keep sure. messing with it and like it, it falls offline and they have like okay. an X number of hours to like have workers put it back. But Fuck. like the workers are still doing their thing. With, that like, sounds terrifying. With, that, with Russia being like you know evil over them, it's not good. It's so hard to work with somebody over your shoulder, especially when they're evil. Yeah, and like want to kill your whole people. Right. Yeah, not great. Yeah. But, like, was, what are you going to do, like, not maintain the nuclear reactor, you know? Those pesky hyper-nationalists. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. They're kind of all over now. Yeah, I know. It's it's not it's not great. It's a really strange time to be alive. Yeah, it sure is. We've gotten far away from zombies again. Well, you know, maybe zombies is the answer, to be honest. So we should start a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, I, you know... Is this also a sound clip we're going to yes, use against you later? I think so. 20, yeah. 20 50 million casualties tops. You know? <laughs> tops. Tops. You know, and, that, and that's being conservative. Those are yeah. conservative numbers. Mm. <laughs> Just deliciously evil. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. Somewhere between The Purge and Resident Evil. I, I don't, but, you know, if we're going to go for it, I, I wonder what it will be like when society does collapse. Like, if, if we are to be alive when it happens. Because societies have collapsed multiple times over yeah. in the history of this planet, and there have probably be, probably been societies that we don't even have evidence for that have had problems that are not dissimilar to what we're dealing with now in you know, relative terms, for the same reason that utopia can't exist, dystopia is certain to exist. <laughs> yeah, I guess I was just thinking of the like you know the Jurassic Park line about just because you can doesn't mean you should or whatever, mm. and. There's a lot of stuff we're doing that we should not do. Totally. So here's... It'll hasten. Yeah. Hasten that apocalypse stuff. Well, here's to scary movies and video games in the meantime. Enjoy That's the thing. You know, smoke them while you got they them, right? They are amazing escapism. Yes, they like, sure are. Yeah. They are a thing that I can tremendously get involved in and care about and engaged in for two hours and ten minutes and then be like, all right, back to like the real world. Right. Well, you provide an excellent escape for people with Telltale PDX. Look Can at that you, segue, um, man. Hey, Look at that. It's like I run a podcast or something. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Uh, yeah. Uh, Telltale is a curated storytelling show for people who like to get vulnerable and take no shit. Um, oh, and yeah. it's been happening. We are in our sixth season now of doing it monthly for almost the whole time. Uh, Excellent. There were a few, took a few months off during the beginning of COVID when we were like, oh no, God, what's happening? And then we did Zooms for like six months. Mm. And then we're now, we're now we're back. Now we're doing it in person again, masking up, just doing our best with what we got. And yeah, I mean, the original thing was like, I was really, really mad after that one election that we don't need to talk about and trying nope. to figure out what to do with myself. Everything felt bad. And that was like, you know, pre-COVID and... Everything felt bad, and if you care about people, um, which we might, there's a lot of like traumatic things happening to people, and one of the only things that's proven to counteract trauma is community, and I couldn't figure out what my community was, and so I decided to just like make one out of thin air. Mm. Um, and so anybody who participates in a, in a show, even if it's for one time only, like that means they're part of the Telltale community now. 
And so, well, myself been, included, and I, yeah. I had a fantastic time doing it. Um, you know, it's the the Chapel Theater is a great venue. Yeah, Milwaukee. Uh, yeah, it's it's super rad. It was nice to get vulnerable because I, I got I did more than just my set. You know, like I just I talked about like why that content is important to me and providing yeah. the further context and hearing other people's stories that weren't necessarily comedy. And I love when it's, comedians and sometimes comedians come and they just do like their 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 set as yeah, normal. Yeah. But like my my favorite Traumedy. is when people are able to come and like mix their normal set into this other thing. Sure. Like Adam Posse is like my favorite person that comes oh, and does it. Where he's so he, good. Yes. I love Posse. Where he like will take bits that I've seen before that are like just straight up just just funny and weave them into this other like really emotional story and then like go but like still hit all the funny parts and like really get people involved totally but still like that like heart bit and like vulnerability bit is still woven in there and like that's a whole different skill set adam posse is a beautiful man with a wonderful soul yes hard agree 10 yeah. out of 10 he was, well, one of the, he was one of my first comedians that i got on the show where i was like oh, he's doing it he's doing it this is so fun nice yeah i mean he's a that's a he's a big get he's yeah a touring comedian man yeah which is super rad i had him on for uh, uh peacemaker nice yeah we had a good time he, he did an awesome set over at al's den and then uh we enjoyed downtown portland together mm, i work down there i'm down there plenty again don't move here uh jasmine thank There's you plenty so of us here yeah yeah thank you so much for joining me i appreciate you so much i really look forward to seeing another telltale and yeah, if people want to come out, we've got a show on the 13th, which is the ghost show, which is going to be amazing and has lots of moving parts. So that's like a tattoo bus, a vending Love fair. Love tattoo bus. Yeah. He's yeah, gonna dude. Be, It's going to be there. Tattoo bus live. was at Shady Pines Festival. Nice. Fuck yeah. We're going to have live screen printing, so you can like bring your own shirt and get the like the image from the party oh, um, on there. It's going to have comedy, dancers, um, storytelling, it, ghost-shaped treats, um, beer tasting from Great Notion Brewing. It's going to have a whole bunch of different stuff, and that's at Alberta Abbey. And then we'll be hanging out again at the chapel on the 20th for a regular show with just eight to ten performers telling a story about Creep Show. That's the theme of the month, whatever nice. that means to people. Well, so it, it is spooky month. Yes, definitely come get spooky at the chapel theater with Telltale. Thanks so much. Thank you. Enjoy your show tonight. I sure will. Thank you. Yep. I had a great time stooping it up with Jasmine off of Alberta. Do make sure to stop by the Alberta Abbey at 126 Northeast Alberta Street this Thursday, October 13th for The Ghost Show. It's sure to be a spooky time. Get your tickets on eventbrite.com. Alrighty, folks, I know you've been dying to know what this week's water cooler facts are going to be about, so without further decay, let's get into the history behind the concept of zombies. After reading a number of articles on this topic, I landed on a piece by Mike Mariani with The Atlantic that takes historical context into account more so than other articles that focused on the influence of zombies in pop culture. The article reads... In the original script for 1968's Night of the Living Dead, the director George A. Romero refers to his flesh-eating antagonist as ghouls. Although the film is widely credited with launching zombies into the cultural zeitgeist, it wasn't until its follow-up, ten years later, the consumerist nightmare Dawn of the Dead, that Romero would actually use the term zombie. While making the first film, Romero understood zombies instead to be the undead Haitian slaves depicted in the 1932 Beluga Lugosi horror film White Zombie. By the time Dawn of the Dead was released in 1978, the cultural tide had shifted completely and Romero had essentially reinvented the zombie for American audiences. 
The last 20 years had seen films and television shows including Shaun of the Dead, 28 Days and 28 Weeks Later, World War Z, Zombieland, Life After Beth, I, Zombie, and even gems like Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. But the zombie myth is far older and more rooted in history than the blinkered arc of American pop culture suggests. It first appeared in Haiti in the 17th and 18th centuries when the country was known as Saint-Domingue and ruled by France, which hauled in African slaves to work on sugar plantations. Slavery under the French was extremely brutal. Half of the slaves brought in from Africa were worked to death within just a few years, which led only to the capture and import of more. In the hundreds of years since, the zombie myth has been widely appropriated by American pop culture in a way that whitewashes its origins and turns the undead into a platform for escapist fantasy. The original brains eating fiend was a slave not to the flesh of others, but to his own. The zombie archetype, as it appeared in Haiti, which mirrored the inhumanity that existed there from 1625 to around 1800, was a projection of the African slave's relentless misery and subjugation. Haitian slaves believed that dying would release them back to Guinea, or Africa in general, a kind of afterlife where they could be free. Though suicide was common among slaves, those who took their own lives wouldn't be allowed to return to Guinea. Instead, they'd be condemned to skulk the Hispaniola plantations for eternity. Undead slaves both denied their own bodies and yet trapped inside them. Soulless zombies. After the Haitian Revolution in 1804 and the end of French colonialism, the zombie became a part of Haiti's folklore. The myth evolved slightly and was folded into the voodoo religion, with Haitians believing zombies were corpses reanimated by shamans and voodoo priests. Sorcerers, known as bokor, used their bewitched undead as free labor or to carry out nefarious tasks. This was the post-colonialism zombie, the emblem of a nation haunted by the legacy of slavery and ever wary of its reinstitution. As UC Irvine professor Amy Wylance has pointed out in her writing on zombies, on several occasions after the revolution, Haiti teetered on the brink of reinstating slavery. The zombies of the Haitian voodoo religion were a mere fractured representation of the anxieties of slavery, mixed as they were with the occult trappings of sorcerers and necromancy. Even then, the zombies' roots in the horrors of slavery were already facing dilution. It was in this form, voodoo bokor and black magic, that the Haitian myth first crossed paths with American culture in the aforementioned white zombie. Although the film doesn't begin to transform the undead in the way that Romero's films and the subsequent zombie industrial complex would, it's notable for its introduction of white people as interlopers in the zombie legend. It would take another few decades or so, but eventually the memory of Haiti's colonialist history and the suffering it wrought, millions of Africans worked into the grave, would be excised from the zombie myth for good. In 2011, The Atlantic's James Parker exhaustively listed all of the ways zombies have infiltrated pop culture consciousness, but he singled out AMC's hit The Walking Dead for its, quote, triumphant return to zombie orthodoxy amid a sea of reimaginings. The show's six-season premiere had about 20 million viewers, and its spin-off, Fear of the Walking Dead, debuted in August to record ratings. The Walking Dead is more or less the zenith of the heretofore inexhaustible zombie craze, a cultural supernova that's infiltrated everything from comics and video games to literary history and the CDC itself, which has dedicated part of its website to, quote, zombie preparedness. The zombie is no longer a commentary on consumerist culture, as it was in the comparatively halcyon days of Dawn of the Dead. It has, in turn, consumed consumerist culture. For a brief period, the living dead served as a handy Rorschach test for America's social ills. At various times, they represented capitalism, the Vietnam War, nuclear fears, even the tensions surrounding the civil rights movement. 
But today, zombies are almost always linked with the end of the world via the zombie apocalypse, a global pandemic that turns most of the human population into beasts ravenous for the flesh of their own kind. But there's no longer any clear metaphor. While America may still suffer major social ills, economic inequality, police brutality, systemic racism, mass murder, you know, the hits, zombies have been absorbed as entertainment that's completely independent from these dilemmas. The article continues on from there with further insights, so definitely check that piece out on TheAtlantic.com. I'd like to thank my sources for this episode, which include Factinate.com, GameRant.com, ScreenRant.com, IMDB.com, Shortlist.com, and of course, Wikipedia, because if it's on Wikipedia, it's likely corporate propaganda. Next week, we do the time warp again. Just a jump to the left. With guest comedian the very funny Sagan Genesis for a look into the 1975 cult classic musical comedy Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'll be going down to the Clinton Street Theater in Southeast Portland for a science fiction double feature with my very own Janet, I mean Amanda, to check out the live showing of the film with performances by the Clinton Street Cabaret, all in the name of research and debauchery. That episode will air Tuesday, October 18th from 8 to 9 a.m. On October 23rd, Science Factual is recording in front of a live audience at Fourth Wall PDX as part of the Dark Arts Festival. I'll be getting into the film Event Horizon with guest comedian Billy Chambers and dark host Michael Garcia, as well as some Boo Berry cereal and a Frankenstein bowl that I found at a thrift shop. I am super stoked for this awesome weekend, so make sure you check out fftheshow.com forward slash Dark Arts Fest 2022 for performance dates and locations. I'll also be delivering some stand-up sets at 4th Wall on Hawthorne and Kelly's Olympian downtown throughout the festival along with some of the funniest people Portland has to offer. No Halloween month would be complete without a visit from those rambunctious rascals, the Gremlins. I take a look at the iconic Cheese Fest with guest comedian Seth Allen for that extra spooky Halloween episode. You can catch those episodes airing every Tuesday morning from 8 to 9 a.m. throughout the month of October right here on Spooky Pines Radio. Oh, that's right, I keep... It's Shady Pines Radio. Follow Shady Pines Radio on the social medias, donate to the Patreon page, and stop by the Factor Building at 226 Southeast Madison in Portland, Oregon on October 29th from 7.30 to midnight for the Spooky Pines Graveside Get Down. There will be live performances by Super Secret Band, Johnny Franco, Family Worship Center, DJ Big Papa Warrior, and more, not to mention vendors, food, beers, games, tricks, and treats. So don't be a skeleton with no body to bring to this spooktacular event. Before I embarrass myself with any more pun work, here's a story by Jasmine Nothing. Enjoy! I've been having trouble sleeping, which isn't fair because sleeping is one of the only things that I feel like I'm doing well at these days. I fall asleep okay and then I stare at the ceiling in the middle of the night and there's a black cat that comes and paces the windowsill and it does feel kind of like a metaphor. I listen to the sounds of the new neighborhood and look at the church across the street. On the nights where I'm the edgiest, my hands twitch at my sides. When I was a kid, my cousin was definitely hung out all the time. 
I learned to sign language, spent summers at deaf camp with them, took a few ASL community college classes at Ivy Tech when I was 12 or 13. My only memory of Ivy Tech from before those classes was as a kid, waiting for my mom in their lobby. The tall windows in the front with their blinds stretching upward into the dusty rafters. Me spending hours tying knots in the blind cords until they were short enough that I could barely reach them, just to spend the next hour untying them again, making problems, and then fixing them, just keeping my hands busy. My cousin and I would go to the movies and I'd sign the dialogue. We'd play in the woods behind my house or the cornfields behind his. I liked my hands always knowing what they were supposed to do. I'd use my hands to collect crawdads in the creek or rotting walnuts from the yard or soft peaches from the trees at my grandma's house. My hands had purpose. My grandma's house is the first place I drove where I got my permit and I got pulled over for driving too slow and I immediately burst into tears. Cars felt dangerous. They held too much promise. Cars could take you anywhere, and I wasn't going anywhere, so I immediately let my permit expire. Do you remember your first time in a car alone? How powerful you were? I didn't get my license until I was in my mid-twenties. It was too much. I don't like the feeling of going fast. Once the car that I was in went over 90 in the middle of the Albert Desert, there was nothing to hit, and I still started crying. Cars show up in a lot of the most important moments leaving my hometown for what I didn't know was going to be the last time and refusing to look back at my parents standing in the driveway waving like a bad movie. Driving all night through California with him telling me to sing as loud as I can. No, 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 you're still trying to sound good. Just sing louder. Just louder. Me standing in the driveway watching him drive away with the tacos we just gotten heavy in my belly. Cars get you up and out. Parking the Volvo wagon at the side of the road to eat sandwiches and seeing a small bear eating apples. When we drove to Seattle and I opened your car door into the car next to us like pretty hard. The 1970s Chevy Belair in a bad faded banana color that we bought for $400 lumbering across town to pick up various queer kids for the weekend. Cars keep you busy. Cars let you escape. I didn't use sign language that much after moving away and it still feels pretty rusty. I catch bits in movies where I accidentally eavesdrop half sentences in restaurants. It's the only thing I ever briefly thought I'd do as a career. But it doesn't come naturally anymore. But there's a strange thing that happens, and I don't know why my hands revert back to it at times like this, even though times like this have kind of never existed before. I get unsettled. My hands get restless. They mess with pen caps and destroy paper clips. They show my low-level alarm, even when I pretend to be cool as a fucking cucumber. And that's when my hands start spelling out words without me noticing. And lately my hands have been twitching again. On the couch watching a movie, I'll find them loose in my lap spelling Mississippi or vaccination or tomato sauce, just because the pattern feels good. My hands will be moving slyly in my pocket or against my naked hip beneath the blankets at night. And it has to be a sign of something. There's so many things to worry about now with so few solutions. I wrote in fake cursive when I was little, just loops and swirls before I could read or write, just like the feeling of it. Words are comforting, predictable. Is that this? What am I supposed to do with my hands? How can I make myself useful? The news makes my brain rotten. How am I supposed to keep busy? My hands twitch and writhe to spell whimsical Tornado warning, cicada. My new neighborhood has helicopters busying themselves above us more often and I miss the sound of trains from the old house. I catch my hands spelling community or zucchini or poached eggs. I worry at the cuticles and clip the nails too short. I make my restless hands ugly so I don't look at them. And I think about cars. Recently we saw my old Honda in a parking lot. We'd never seen a car that we'd sold before again. Then we saw the green Dodge Neon on 102nd, the same stickers in the back window soon after. And then we saw the Dodge again the next week, old cars haunting us. My hands spell out Monstera, Habanero, Irish Cream.
Cars show up during so many important times. My first road trip alone when I drove so slow, parked by bodies of water, staring at swans and wood ducks and American coots. Long wet drives through small towns, flipping off Trump flags all last year. Cars get you out. I'm thinking of what it takes to get out, and my hands spell Northern Harrier, European Starling, Cathedral. But I need movement. You need movement. You need to wake up to something different than this. Are your hands twitching at your side or whatever your version of that is? Are you tapping your shoe under the table or darting your eyes more than usual? I am so mad at the general population and I am so tired. What if we all just got in the car and left? And the car is a metaphor. Your car might be a bike uh, or a bus or your feet. When was the last time you ran as fast as you could? Like poor form, just the feet pounding on the sidewalk, flat-footed and wild like you did as a kid. We leave so many things behind. I spell turkey vulture, cornucopia, masturbation. And before we resort to just getting in the car and going, because I know it's pretty drastic, we have to try other things. So here are some things that you could do with your hands. Shred napkins slowly into long strips like sad confetti. Julianne herbs from the garden. Pull a two ripe peach in half like something violent. Pull all the dandelions out of the yard, leaving dry brown craters. Fold laundry and feel vaguely pleased and all the socks match up right. Push on all the places your bones are near the surface. Find the knobs of your wrists, your knuckles. Push on your lower ribs until you can't possibly forget that you're alive and lying in bed with the fan blowing too loud and a black cat walking across the windowsill. Hold a cup of coffee near your face. Peel an orange. Comb the knots from your hair. Write postcards on behalf of one of you politicians. Flip off pickup trucks with flags flying out the back. Flip through vinyl at the used record store until your fingertips are filthy. Braid lattice pie crust. Play cards even though he always wins. Flip the record. Pull the arrows out of a pomegranate one by one. Water all the plants. Wipe dust from each individual leaf. Hold an ice cube until it hurts and then it turns to nothing. Pull bits of peeling paint from the doorway and let them drift to the floor. Push on your collarbones. Push on your eyelids until you see stars. Softly stroke your inner thigh until you get goosebumps. Peel the fruit stickers off the dumb spots. You keep sticking them around the kitchen instead of putting them in the trash can like a reasonable adult. Scratch a single long line of the inside of your thigh. Knead bread dough on the counter. There are things you can do to keep your hands busy. These are options, and I've tried them all. And when I'm not doing these things, my hands twitch, and I spell mozzarella. Dictionary. Intrigue. A few weeks ago, I answered a call from an unknown number, and it was the police asking if I still owned the Dodge Neon. And I said, no, 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 I sold it last spring. Well, it was involved in an incident this evening. Mm -hmm. Can you prove you don't have it and who you sold it to? And my hands were very suddenly busy finding a copy of the bill of sale I wrote leaning over the hood of the car and the person's name and photo on Facebook. What type of incident, I asked. And she said, well, it was a theft. Thank you, you've been very helpful. And I wonder if my car will haunt me anymore. And at my hip, my hand is spelling incident, Toilet and Police Department, Forest Green. My cousin lives on the East Coast somewhere now, but we haven't talked in 20 years. Family, bad blood, distance, whatever. In pictures, he doesn't look that different, like he'd still catch a crawdad and maybe make jokes about how much he loves Tiffany Everthiesen from Saved by the Bell, but also he has a beard now. But what if you just got in the car and left? What if you took the cash from under the mattress or the back of the closet or the Christmas card in the desk and you left? What if you just left? I won't wait to feel better. What if one day you were just gone? Drive west until water, drive east until water. Arguably, it takes much longer. Just leave. Don't show up tomorrow. Pull a good while hunting. Take your dog and a partner or not, depending on your situation. Take the cash and a sleeping bag and some uh, crackers, whatever's in your cupboard. I don't, I don't really know your kitchen. Uh, drive until your hands don't want to anymore. Sleep somewhere strange. Wake up confused. Spell Halloween. Spell cinnamon. Spell marshmallow. 
And if I got in the car right now, just the cash and the dog and my favorite person and the crackers, I think at the end of the street, my hands would still be spelling Arkansas, mid-century modern historical fiction. At the edge of the city, I'd spell mountain, high tide, and seagull. And at the state line, I'd spell gone missing, hash browns, dive bar, I'm sorry. But maybe by the time I hit the water, when I've gone entirely missing, when my hands know that they have a job to just keep holding the wheel or to float out the window on the wind or change the radio station, when they've gotten all of their work done, maybe then, maybe then, maybe then, they would rest quietly and they wouldn't spell anything at all. Thanks. Hey folks, this is Michael Phelps, host of Father's Favorites and the Comedy Open Mic at my father's place, conveniently located at 523 Southeast Grand Avenue in Portland, Oregon. Mic sign-ups are Fridays at 8.30 p.m. Come on by for some awesome breakfast food, great drinks, and the best comedians Portland and the Pacific Northwest has to offer. In the meantime, make sure you follow Science Factual on the socials. That's at Science Factual Pod, as well as Shady Pines Radio for amazing content 24 hours a day, 8 days a week. Download the app today wherever you procure your apps. Thank you. 